0: Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. How many authors, scientists, philosophers, and just plain folk like us have toyed with the idea of time as a fourth dimension? Theory upon theory, from the magnetic fields that open windows, from our everyday world to other worlds of the past or future, to the conception of all periods in time running concurrently like parallel rivers, that last the theorem of Professor Jennings Andrews who believed one had only to find the bridges to cross at will among the centuries, between the past and the present. Or, from today to tomorrow. Hello, Steve McDonald speaking. Mac, it's Professor Andrews. Could
1: you drop everything you're doing and come over to my house right away? Well, sure, sir, but what's wrong? It isn't... no, no, or... no, 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 no. Our girl is fine. It's just that it's time to... Mac, I've got to share my secret with someone and who else but you. Your secret, sir? Mac, I think I've done it. The discovery of the centuries. In fact, I know I have. You're not talking about the bridge. Yes, but only to you. No one else must know until I can prove it beyond doubt. But I'm convinced. I have built a bridge across time.
0: Our mystery drama, Assassination in Time, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars William Redfield and Jennifer Harmon. (laughs) Professor Jennings Andrews may be a familiar name to you, even if you're not interested in the field of metaphysics. For some years now, he has been immersed in a secret project for which unlimited funds have been granted by a top foundation. He has become almost a recluse, except for his daughter Margaret, who runs his house for him, and his prized graduate student Steve McDonald. He has been virtually inaccessible, even in the past weeks, to them. Both of them are worried now as Mac presses the doorbell at his house in answer to the professor's elated phone call.
1: Peg, darling, how are you, sweetie?
2: Worried to death, if you want to know. Ever since you phoned me about Dad's phone call. Well, where is he? In his lab. Come on in. Into the living room for a minute.
1: Well, honey, any other time, but my master's voice has called... Before you
2: see Dad, I must talk to you, Mac. I'm worried. But Peg, I won't keep you a moment. He doesn't know you're here yet.
1: Well, he must have heard the doorbell.
2: Back there in the lab? Not a chance. He's so tied up in what he's doing, I have to hammer on the door just to get him to come out and eat his meals. What is he
1: working on?
2: <sighs> Sit down for a moment, Mac. And hold me. Oh,
1: I don't generally have to be asked. Hey, your hands are like ice. you got the shakes.
2: I have this churning gut feeling. Maybe... Maybe he's going around the bend.
1: The professor? Oh, come on, forget it.
2: No, Mac. You've been away for a few months. You don't know what's been going on.
1: Okay, okay. Just clue me in.
2: I don't know how to. Maybe I don't know what it is he's after, except in a general way.
1: All right, so maybe the best thing to do is let me see him as fast as I can and find out.
2: I know. Except, darling... The two of you are such dedicated nuts in this area. I'm scared when you get together, you both might flip out. Oh,
1: what area?
2: His old obsession. I don't know any of the scientific terms. Time travel, fourth, fifth, Lord knows how many dimensions. Science fiction dreams. Whatever he's got between his teeth, he's not letting go of this one. And I don't like to see what it's doing to him. All right, all
1: right. Now, look, let me go talk to Pops and find out just what the devil it is he's messing around with.
2: Make me one promise. Don't get involved with any of his experiments without checking me out first.
1: Oh, Peg.
2: Promise me that.
1: I promise.
2: Okay. It's just an anchor. I just hope it'll hold after you and Pops have talked together. I'm just... As much as I've ever been in my life. Uh,
3: professor!
1: P- hey, ha, ha, hey, hey, Professor! Oh, I'm sorry, Mac, I didn't hear you. I was monitoring by ear as well as I was. Yeah. Uh, come in, come in. All right. I'm trying to get him stabilized, you see. I I don't know where he is. He? Who? who, Who's he? Marco Polo. What? Who? Marco Polo? Well, the the humanoid or robot or whatever you want to call him, stretched out on the astronaut's couch inside that isolation room there. I called him Marco Polo because he, you know. Yes, but of course you can't see him now. Well, of course I can't, Professor. There's nothing there.
3: I, although, well, of let's... course
1: there's nothing there. I have him back in time now, and and but, but you can see the shape of his body where the restraining straps were pulled tight to hold him fast. Well, now wait, I can see they're sort of shaped as though they were bound around something, but but there's nothing inside. I mean, look, what's the trick? What holds them up like that? Some some kind of magnet, Mac. That whole booth there inside is a magnetic field. There's a lead mesh buried in the glass so fine... So highly concentrated that no radio or electromagnetic waves can escape. And you mean that's what holds those belts in those contours? No, 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 no. That's Marco Polo's body. You mean he's invisible? Well, something like that. You can't see him, but in one sense he is there. Oh. But in another, he... Oh. Ah, there we are. He, he He's arrived. Now, to activate him. Act, wait, wait a minute. A, a, arrived? Where? Uh, that's the only thing I haven't quite solved yet, because his functions are limited, you see. Oh. From what he's been able to bring back, I can only make educated guesses. My best estimate would be this time somewhere in the Middle Ages. But North America, I hope, on the East Coast, if possible... He might be able to bring back some trace of Indian habitation. Now, wait a minute, wait. Are you trying to tell me that that mass of knobs and buttons and switches that you're operating are controlling some sort of robot that you've sent time traveling? Well, of course I am. But, Professor, that's crazy. Why? That's cartoon science fiction. Oh, Mac, you're the last person I'd expect to find with a closed mind. Son, I tell you, I've scored a major breakthrough so incredible that it's going to rock the scientific world. Hey, Pops, now take it easy. Remember your blood pressure. <laughs> oh, now you sound like Margaret. She's been hovering over me these days like a mother hen. Well, and... I can't blame Peg for worrying about you. She feels that you're just about to... It... Hey, what? Wait a minute. Oh, what, what's that? that that's Marco Polo. He must be in trouble. It's a built-in <laughs> alarm mechanism. Cut off that knife switch on the red panel. Roger. All right, I got it. Okay. Now keep your eyes on that isolation booth. Watch the launching table with the straps that interested you so. Now you're going to find out what holds them in that shape. (laughs) Well, by damn, he's there. Just as you said he'd be. Yep. It's a good thing he's only a humanoid, or all I'd have brought home through time would have been a dead man. You see what's sticking out of his chest? Yes, an arrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm getting better. I may have missed by a century or two, but at least I got the place pretty near right. Dad? Mac, are you all right? It's, it's, it's fine, honey. There's nothing to worry about. No, no, no no problems, honey. I I don't want her in here yet. Yeah, but, Pop, she's already... Dad, open this
2: door and let me in. Come on,
1: I, I can't, honey. Now, be reasonable. I'm in the midst of an experiment. Well, she's got to find out sometime. I don't want her to know until I've talked this through with you. But after this... You, you... mean our friend with the arrow in him? Yeah. What... What I had in mind is this... Too risky. Look, Professor, give me a moment with Peg to cool her down, and I'll be right back to talk it out. No, 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 Mark. It's too much to ask of anyone. I should never have thought No, look, Pops, I want to go. It's like... Well, it's like... It's like being the first man on the moon. Oh, son, but there's too much danger... No, not when a human being is involved... Poor old Marco there has only a built-in reactor to danger after it happens to him. A human could anticipate it and could, well, just get out of it in time. <laughs> if you'll excuse the pun. Uh, I don't know, Mark. I'd go myself, but to orient you to the panels and all the controls and just how to balance and count away them, well, that would take months. No, no, the right one to go is me. There's only, um, one hitch that I can see. Oh, I'm way ahead of you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you're gonna have to actually replace someone who has already existed in history. Yes. And that may control just where you end up. But remember, if it puts you in any danger, or it's too difficult to maintain the deception, just activate the danger signal and I'll have you right out of it. If I am myself, now maybe I'll really be that other person and all my today identity will be wiped out. Then what happens to whoever it is or was? Well, they might turn up here in the present. Ah, yes, but you see, that was the purpose of the straps. But nobody ever did when you sent old Marco Polo on his travels. Because he wasn't a living creature, just a machine. Oh. Still, might interfere with your return. It is a large hitch, you're right and i have no right to ask you to take the risk you of don't it. have to ask me pops i'm ready and straining at the bit the hitch is your daughter and my girl peg i don't know how i'm going to talk her into letting me try it <laughs>
2: I honestly think you're both kooky.
1: Peg, this is a breakthrough in science that's going to make your father a figure in history that dwarfs Newton, Einstein... And
2: aren't... you have to be a part of it. If I opposed you on this, if I stopped you, you'd never forgive me.
1: Oh, no, no, no. Don't put it that way,
2: hon. I'm putting it the way it is. Our whole future depends on you taking a trip into the past from which you may never return. Oh, there's
1: practically no chance of that.
2: No, Mac, no hedging. Just like it is. Okay, you can have your trip, but on one condition. What? That I go with you. Well,
1: guess we're all ready. The, uh... The strap's too tight?
2: Mine are fine.
1: Same here. Margaret, I I uh are you all right, dear?
2: I have butterflies and no, I'm not all right. I took one peek in the mirror and I look like Grandma Moses. Between this Mother Hubbard and my hair pulled back in a bun. Well,
1: we can't look too modern. I mean, look at me with the tasseled hair and the half-baked beard and the blue jeans. <laughs> well, I'm aiming for somewhere as soon after the American Revolution as possible.
2: Why pick that period?
1: Well, because it's easier, I think, honey. You could be farmers. Your accents are east coast and not regional. There should be no language barrier. And you know enough American history to help blend in. And besides, it's our bicentennial year. What a way to celebrate and kick off a new miracle in science, huh? No, no, no. You you, you—you have the gold nuggets. It's the best I could do for money. We're fine, Pa.
2: What are we waiting for?
1: Well, I... I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't risk you two kids.
2: Look, Dad, that's all buttoned up now.
1: All right, then. Good luck, kids. Thumbs up. <clears throat> All right, I'm at the board now. I'm about to activate the field inside your room. Check me if there's any discomfort. Roger, Pop. You all okay? No
2: reaction here. Everything
1: normal. How is it now?
2: Fine, Dad, fine. For Mr. Pete's sake,
1: let's get this show on the road. All right, here goes. God help me to be in the right and to bring them to no harm.
0: On the road, but to where? Inside the isolation booth, a magnetic field builds, warping time and forcing an opening through it. A window or a door that leads to another world. And suddenly, Mac and Peg are gone. Only this time in their places lie a strange young man and woman, still and as unmoving as death. I'll return shortly with Act Two. The lead shielded glass, the professor peers at the two unmoving strangers bound by the straps to the couches. Reflexively, he takes a quick series of pictures with a special camera built into the booth. Because of the tightly woven mesh, it is hard to distinguish features, but both man and woman are dressed in nightshirts, or are they shrouds? But other questions crowd the professor's head. Have Mac and his daughter replaced these two? If so, in what century? What year? What place? And alive or dead?
2: Mac, Mac,
0: hmm? wake up! Well, what?
2: Why would Peg? Well, that's just great. You make a dishonest woman of me, and you don't even know who I am. Well,
1: what do you mean?
2: Just in case you haven't noticed, we seem to be in bed together. What?
1: You're right.
2: But where? Where are we? Well,
1: I don't know. And while it's question time, what are you doing with that silly cap on your head?
2: What cap? (laughs) Wait a minute. Good Lord, I look like the old woman who lived in the shoe.
1: And in that long flannel nightie, you look like you're well on the way to adding to that family.
2: (laughs) I'm coming back to bed.
1: (laughs) You shameless hussy.
2: Breathing. Ooh, you don't know how cold it is outside the blanket. Oh. Hold me. There. Is that better? Ooh, I guess. Yes. Well,
1: now let's see. We seem to have replaced two other people in the year of our Lord, whatever it is. Say, look. What? There's a fireplace and some logs. I'm going to light us a fire and get the chill off this place. Ah. Well, how about that? Carpet slippers.
2: There's a robe at the bottom of the bed. Yeah, I see it. Any way to light the fire?
1: Yes, but hold your breath. Why? Old phosphorus matches. Lethal is all hell to breathe and probably stink to high heaven. Anyway, here goes. Ah, they work, though. Ooh, wow. Phew. I'll open the window a little.
2: Here. Are we in the country? Nope.
1: City of some sort.
2: Is it very early in the morning?
1: No, the sun's
2: up. I wonder where we are.
1: Well, at least we know it's somewhere past the early 19th century. How? Well, matches weren't invented. At least the phosphorus match wasn't till, like, the 1830s. Hey, I think I can tell you where we are. Where? Come over to the window and look for yourself.
2: It's marvelous. It's like... uh... Like Philadelphia. Uh, No, no, no,
1: wait a minute, wait a minute. Look out over there. Almost due south.
2: Oh! Why, sure. Even with that scaffolding around it, I can see what it is. It's the dome of the Capitol. Hmm. So we're in Washington. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Let me think. The old dome was, uh. Well, the original one was copper over wood. Uh Uh-uh,
1: not this, baby. That's cast iron. It must be the same one we have today. Only today isn't today. It's... It's what, Peg? When did they replace the
2: dome? Oh, brother. It's a good thing I've been teaching history in school this year. Let's see. They started it in 18... Uh... 56, I think. Uh Uh-huh. And it took nearly ten years to complete, or nine, I guess.
1: And it's darn near finished, so that would make it about, uh, say, uh, 1864, around there?
2: Well, it wasn't finished till 65. Uh I don't know exactly when. Oh, Mac, look! That must be the monument. The Washington Monument?
1: Oh, no, it's less than a third the size. They
2: stopped work on it for about 25 years, well before the Civil War. Look at that, Mac.
1: Union soldiers. Civil war, all right. We're right back in the middle of history in the making. Oh, honey, we can't pass this up.
2: Yes, but, Mac, darling, it's all out of whack now. Don't you see? We aren't us anymore. I mean, we're someone else, and we don't even know who. We haven't even got clothes. Uh-huh.
1: I'll bet we do. Now, let's have a look in that closet. And there's a carpet bag on the chair. And there's a jacket there, too. So there must be a a wallet or some
2: kind of identification. But what good would that do? I mean, even if they fitted us, how could we pretend to be someone else to people who must know us and would recognize us right away? Mr. and Mrs. Downing?
1: Well, at least now we know our names. Uh, uh, uh yes?
2: Uh, it's your landlady. May I come in?
1: Well, I'm I'm afraid I'm just uh, dressing at the moment.
2: Oh, I am sorry. It was just that I didn't have a chance to meet you when you arrived last night. I hope my daughter saw you comfortably settled.
1: Why, yes. Uh, everything is most comfortable.
2: I didn't mean to bother you, but Anne said she had such a brief acquaintance with you that she had little chance to inform you about the habits of our little boarding house. Boarding house? Shh. I just wanted to let you know that we serve breakfast in the dining room on the main floor between 8 and 9.
1: Oh, uh, what time is it now?
2: And just a quarter till 8. I and the other guests will look forward to meeting you formally then. And, and forgive me if I've disturbed you. Not
1: at all. You've been most helpful.
2: Ask her, her name. Not at all. See you later. Uh, uh miss, uh, uh, mrs, uh...
1: No, no, no. No, it's too late, Peg. She's gone.
2: Okay, this is our chance.
1: Our chance for what?
2: To see what we can do about establishing our new identities. To find out if we can risk going down to breakfast and get away with being who we're supposed to be over 50 years before either of us were born. Let's... With apologies to the real Mr. and Mrs. Downing, pour through their possessions and... Find out just who we're supposed to be.
1: You look like Claudette Colbert or Joan Crawford in one of those old TV reruns of Hollywood movies.
2: More like Vivian Lee.
1: <laughs> you mean Scarlett O'Hara. I can't make up my mind whether you look more like a dinner bell, a tea cozy, or a pin cushion.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Laugh all you want. But it isn't funny. I mean, I have a wire cage on under this skirt and about eight petticoats. Oh, can you hook me up the back?
3: Oh,
1: sure. And I don't know what you're ashamed of. You look beautiful in a crinoline.
2: I'm ashamed of someone else's clothes. Someone else's identities. And prying into other people's private, intimate business. That's what I'm ashamed of. These two tragic people. Guilty of nothing but loving each other and trying to expiate their sin with a suicide pack.
1: It's another era, Peg. That was their solution. Was? Well, is, of course. These two tragic people of yours are us. I mean, we're living their lives. Maybe we better cut and run. I. Are you afraid?
2: I'm afraid of everything about this whole mysterious out-of-this-world adventure. But we're not going back till you make up your mind it's time to... I have forced myself on you. Made you let me come along. I, I'm not going to be a drag on you. Uh-huh. Aren't you finished hooking yet?
1: I think. Mm, there must be like 50 of them.
2: I wonder where they are. I, I mean the Downing.
1: Oh, you mean Asa and Rebecca. Only her name isn't really Downing, remember. It's Mrs. Charlton Fryer.
2: Poor Becky. Married to that horrible husband who won't let her go to marry Asa. <sighs> Oh, my God. Do you suppose they've done it yet?
1: Killed themselves? I don't see how. The pistols are here and still loaded.
2: Then where are they?
1: Well, if we're taking their place...
2: Then they're in our century taking our place.
1: Yes, yes, I guess that's the way it would work. Not necessarily, well, That but...
2: wouldn't put Dad in any danger, would it?
1: No. I don't see how it could. Not the way he had us strapped to the table.
2: It means one thing, though. We can't stay here too long. Hmm? What do you mean? Until we go back. Dad can't go into the isolation booth. And the two of them would starve to death. Unless, as I said, they're already dead.
1: I don't see how they can be. Or we would be, too. Are we going to risk it?
2: Well, we look enough like them in the photos we saw. And
1: remember, only the landlady's daughter has seen us briefly, and she's not here. Um, yes?
2: I thought maybe you didn't have a watch and wouldn't realize what time it is. Uh,
1: well, just a moment. Uh, good morning.
2: Oh, good morning.
1: As a matter of fact, we we don't have the time. Well,
2: I certainly didn't mean to bedevil you, but it's near the end of breakfast. So... Oh. My, aren't you a pretty little thing? Just as my daughter said you were. And such a handsome husband. Newly well, i reckon.
1: Well, I... Uh... Oh,
2: don't mind me. Come on along, I'll take you downstairs. Uh, will you be stopping with us long? Why, I... Uh... Uh, we really can't tell. Just long enough to find, a well, our own place. <laughs> of course, I understand. Uh... You're not with the army, Mr. Downey? Not now.
1: Well, I I can assure you, ma'am, these clothes feel very strange to me.
2: Oh, so you must have been. Oh, well, we should let that be. It's no fit subject for discussion now. General Lee has surrendered and the war is over. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's the dining room. Uh, Make yourselves comfortable. These seats be all right? Just fine, thanks. What line of work are you in, Mr. Downey? My husband is a a builder. Oh, that's right, fine. We'll be needing a lot of you in the days and years to come, especially in the South. Or perhaps your sympathies don't lie in that direction.
1: My sympathies are for the Union, madam, and by that I mean the whole country, North and South.
2: Well, I'm sorry you won't be meeting any other boarders since it's late, but you'll meet the whole little family at dinner. Uh, Same for my son, John, who's away on business. Well, dinner's at noon. Now, anything else I can get you while breakfast's on the way?
1: Oh, uh, why, yes. Uh, do you have a newspaper by any chance?
2: Oh, well, there's a copy of the National Intelligencer right there on the sideboard. Oh,
1: thank you, Mrs. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm embarrassed, but n- not having met you in person last night, your name has escaped
2: me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lord knows it's not that special. Anyone should remember it. I'm a widow lady named Mary Surratt. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll get your food. Sarat! Matt, get the paper. Sure. What... What date is it? Uh, let me see. Uh, April 13th,
1: 1865. That makes today the 14th. But what? Oh, my God.
2: April 14th. The day John Wilkes Booth assassinated President Lincoln at Ford's Theater.
1: And we're in Mary Surratt's boarding house, the spot where the whole plot was hatched.
0: If you or I had been in the position of knowing without a shadow of a doubt the dreadful thing that was to happen on this day, what would we have done and how? That's the question that faces Peg Andrews and Steve McDonald, time travelers, who have it in their power to change history. I'll return shortly with Act Three. It was an uneasy, uncomfortable, and seemingly endless breakfast. If Mrs. Surratt noticed Peg and Mac's agitation, she no doubt would have put it down to the fact that she had decided they were newlyweds. Finally, after choking down as much as they could of the ham and eggs, hominy grits and tea, they were able to break away.
2: Why, you two little lovebirds only nibbled at your breakfast. I,
0: I'm sorry, Mrs. Surratt.
2: Oh, I understand. I'm not so old I don't remember my wedding breakfast. (laughs) I was a mite nervous, too. (laughs) I wonder if you'd excuse me. I'd like to go back to our room. Oh, of course. I can quite understand your wanting to be alone. But I'll make sure you get called early enough to meet everyone and eat a good dinner at noon. Oh, I, um,
1: um... Perhaps you'd better not expect us for dinner today.
2: No? Uh, visiting friends here in Washington?
1: No, we uh, we just want to have a picture taken and take care of a few errands, like uh, going to the bank.
2: Oh, Lord, no, don't you worry about that. I can see you're the kind to be trusted. But if you're having a picture taken, let me recommend Gardner's studio. He takes all the honeymooners, and for the times, his prices are reasonable.
1: Well, uh, we'll remember that, and uh, <laughs> now if you'll excuse us, We have a few things to straighten out.
2: What are we going to do, Mac? What
1: can we do? We've got to try and stop it. How? Well, that's where you can help. Now, how much can you remember of the day of the assassination and the plot? Where people were, who was involved, you know, all of that.
2: Let's forget that for the moment. We've something a lot more immediate to talk about. What you remember what Dad told us before he sent us back in time? we can't interfere with anything or change anything because everything that had happened back where we were in nineteen seventy five depended on everything that had gone before it. So if we stop something major happening in eighteen sixty five
1: major or minor, it would have to affect the time stream that that's what you mean?
2: Yes, if President Lincoln hadn't been shot. Our whole history would have been different.
1: Which maybe wouldn't have been a bad idea. I can think of a lot of things we could have done without. Wars, depressions...
2: Oh, there are a lot of things that were good, too. Like us, for example. You and me. If we try to change your time stream or whatever, we could never have met. Or even existed.
1: But, Peg, we're together now. And there are other theories.
2: Only if we could somehow stop Mr. Lincoln's death, we'd be signing our own death warrants. How? Well, you know what Rebecca wrote in her diary? The farewell note she left to her husband telling him of what she and Asa planned to do? Have her shoot him and then die by his hand? If we lock ourselves back here in time, we're signing our own death warrants.
1: We don't know that for sure.
2: It's a chance we're taking.
1: To save Abraham Lincoln, would you be willing to take it?
2: Yes, as long as we're together.
1: Okay, then we're agreed. Now let's figure out how to do this.
2: It isn't only Mr. Lincoln. It's Mr. Seward, too.
1: Yes, the Secretary of State. But he didn't die, did he?
2: No, he recovered. When Payne stabbed at him, although he was badly cut up... An iron brace around his neck and his jaw saved his life. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, Now, who? um, uh, What else?
2: Well, a man named Asteroid. No, Asteroid. uh, I don't know. It it was a German. I I don't remember. He was supposed to kill the war secretary, Stanton. But he didn't have the nerve. Mm -hmm. There was another man named Gerald or Harold or, or something. But he got cold feet, too. He doesn't count. And, of course, Mrs. Surratt.
1: But she really didn't have much to do with it, did she?
2: They never really proved anything against her. Just that the conspirators had met at her house several times.
1: (sighs) Okay. There's only one thing to do. What? We're going to the White House and warn the President. Well... If this is Pennsylvania Avenue, that must be it. But it doesn't look like the White House.
2: It wasn't even called that then. I mean now. It's called the President's House. What are we going to do? I'm going up to that sentry and try to get in. I'm coming with you.
1: Peg, there might be some danger.
2: Some danger? What else is this whole thing? All right,
1: all right. Let's go. All right, lady, move along. Abe ain't seeing any more petitioners today. Hey, you! Where do you think you're going? I have business with the president. Yeah, you and what's left of the population. Forget it, mister. He's only one man, and anyways, he's tied up in state business. Now move on, oh, will you? Oh,
2: please, officer. It's very important and
1: you, personal. You couldn't forget the flattery, ma'am. I'm just a plain foot soldier, Union Army, and I got no use for civilians today. Abe needs a rest from him. But this has to do with the president's well-being. Ain't hey, no use of me letting you by anyways. You'd only be stopped inside. Now, listen to me. Supposing we were to tell you that we know there's a plot to assassinate the president. Sure, you'd be one of a hundred thousand nuts, soreheads, heads, Johnny Rabs in disguise. So move on out before you tempt me to put a musket ball on you just in case you got any notions.
2: Come on,
1: Mac. Well, okay, okay, but but just one more question. One is all, brother. Which way is Ford's Theater? Now, there's a good notion. Save your imagination for there, huh? (laughs) You take Pennsylvania here to 10th, and then a couple of blocks north. What did you come here for? Just to locate the theater and... Wait a minute. You see that guy there? Which? The dark-haired, shortish guy on the other side of the street in the cavalry boots and spurs, walking towards the theater, isn't that Booth?
3: Morning, Mr. Ford. Mr. Booth. Give you a hand unloading your buggy? Why, no thanks. Uh, one of my actors will be right out to help. You really think you can drum up any business for that turkey, our American cousins who are foolish enough to produce?
1: I'll wager, sir, I'll outdo Gray's Theater tonight. Mr. Lincoln and General Grant are
3: attending the performance. So... If it were my theater, I wouldn't give him standing room. But, I promise you, it will be a night to remember.
2: Oh, I'd give anything to know what they're talking about.
3: I'd have given a lot more to have brought the Downings pistols
1: with me and put a couple of shots into Mr. Booth.
2: You couldn't be a murderer, Matt. Oh,
1: I know, I know. Anyway, it's, uh, it's too late now. Now, what? We'll try Mr. Seward's house and Mr. Stanton's. Anyone, anywhere, who'll maybe stop long enough to listen to us. incredible, isn't it? Here we are with the knowledge to stop one of the greatest crimes in history, and we can't get anyone to listen to us.
2: Maybe that's the way it has to be. No,
1: no, Peg. I, I, I just can't give up yet. If
2: there was just some way to get to Booth... I don't if... see how. Well, there seems to be a lot of activity around this house tonight. Hmm? What? I don't know. Maybe there's a party now that supper's over. The front bell keeps jangling, and people keep riding up. Wait a
1: minute, wait You don't suppose... Look, the conspirators must have had a meeting once they knew Lincoln was going to actually be at the theater. Now, if they were going to... Well, where else? Look out the window, Peggy. Easy, boy. Easy. By God, that's what it must be. That's the great John Wilkes Booth himself.
2: Hear what they're saying? No,
1: not really. Just enough to know they're planning something. I heard the name Payne though. Well, then it's the plot, all
2: right. He's the one. Who... Shh, I, want, I, want, I want
3: you, sh- baby, to hold the horses. And Astorod, you will kill the Secretary of War, Stanton. Payne, my trusted friend, I leave the Secretary of State to you. You will make sure of Seward. Lincoln, I shall shoot to the head and General Grant shall be dispatched with the knife. Then down to the stage and arrive the startled audience with the ringing phrase, Sixth Semper Tyrannus. And when I leave the stage for the last exit, I shall leave as the most famous man in America and across the world. Now, we must discuss the escape route by the Navy Bridge. Adele. What
2: are we going to do?
1: First things first. Now, come on. Get the pistols and let's get out of here.
2: Why, Mr. and Mrs. Downing, what are you doing downstairs? I thought you were off to bed.
1: Well, uh, we were just going to take a stroll, but it seems a little chill. Uh (laughs) Come, Rebecca, dear. Uh, Put on your wrap against the night air.
3: Mary. Mary, what is it?
2: An emergency, Wilkes. I must speak to you alone. What's wrong? My new boarders. They're Yankees. And I think they overheard the plot to assassinate the president. Where are we going, Matt?
1: I noticed a little park on the way to the theater. Now, Booth will have to pass through there on the way. The others will have split by then. I'm going to ambush him. And? And nothing. Just keep him from getting to Ford's theater tonight. At least it'll save the president. Here's the park now. What, Peg, what is it?
2: Lover's Rest. That's where the Downings were going to commit suicide. Mac, look out! What, what is it? John Wilkes Booth. Get the alarm for Dad, quick.
1: Are you the Downings? Yes. Are you John Wilkes Booth? Forget that. I will not let you stop the march of history. Nor I you... didn't get shot or kill each other in that suicide pact?
2: If anyone got shot, it must have been Ethan and Rebecca. Hello, Dad.
1: Hello, oh, honey. Oh, children. Oh. Hey. Now, now, what's all this about being shot? Are you all right? Well, a bit shook, sir, but I guess it's all here... What happened with you while we were gone? Oh, sir, I had a couple of strange guests lying on the table strapped down.
2: A girl in a crinoline dress?
1: And a guy in a long tail jacket like they wore in the Civil War? Just about describes them. They lay like corpses. So that's all that happened to me. Oh. Now, what happened to you?
0: We
2: tried to stop Lincoln's assassination. You what?
1: <sighs> but I don't guess we succeeded. I mean... Nothing's really changed, has it? No, I'm afraid not.
2: President Abraham Lincoln did get assassinated by John Wilkes Booth on April 14th, 1865. The way we've always known.
1: Well, of course, darling. Nothing could change that. After all, it's history. It's
0: history, all right. But might it not have been? And if the tragic occurrence had never happened, how much better or worse might our country or the world have been? We'll never know, of course. And there's the fascination of life, leaving just a few loose ends in our story, which I'll be back to gather up very shortly. One final footnote. It is fascinating that in one of the Washington papers of December 15, 1865, black bannered headline with the assassination reports, buried in the back pages was a small note that the bodies of Asa Downing and Rebecca Fryer had been discovered in what appeared to be a suicide pact. The item might never have made the paper except for the coincidence that the death tryst was so near the now famous Ford's Theater. Our cast included Jennifer Harmon, William Redfield, Ian Martin, Bryna Rayburn, and Gordon Gould. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.